It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. All right, I'm going to start with a confession on this Friday. And by the way, I hope you're heading into a good weekend. And I hope that weekend includes watching Media Buzz on Sunday morning. So I was one of, I don't know what, the last 200 people in America who liked having a BlackBerry. Now, I've had an iPhone for years and years and years, and it's an amazing device and does all kinds of things. Um, But the reason I kept the BlackBerry as a kind of a second phone is it does one thing and only one thing well. It sucks at everything else, but it's good for sending email because it has those raised keyboard, the physical keyboard, and I could type so well on it. I mean, I filed whole news stories on it. Uh, when I was in a place where I couldn't get to a computer. And my fingers are kind of big for the iPhone thing. I know some people are very good at pecking at it. But anyway, I love the keyboard. I love, love, love the keyboard. I always wish there was some kind of iPhone with a keyboard, but that's not going to happen. And then one year and a month ago, I I lost the BlackBerry. And I I didn't care that much because, you know, I mostly, you know, 95% of what I do is is on the iPhone. And maybe you have an Android phone or something, and they're also good. Um, But it was sort of the end of an era. I mean, there was a time, (laughs) young people will find this hilarious, when having a BlackBerry was cool. Before Steve Jobs came up with the iPhone, it was the only sort of mobile phone. And you could wear it on your belt, on your hip, and I like that. And it would buzz or the light would go off. Uh, and then it became increasingly less cool as the Canadian company, you know, didn't keep up with such things as, oh, I don't know, being able to surf the Internet on the phone. So it was gone. Uh, you know, I didn't think anything more about it. Well, the other day it turned up. It must have been hidden somewhere in a drawer and the iPhone was back. The amazing thing is, this has been 13 months. I hit the on button and it went on. It went on and, you know, it still had like half a battery charge. There's a really good battery. But the more the reason I'm telling you the story is, so I click on emails and obviously I don't have the service. I don't have anything new. So everything is from March of 2020. And it was like entering a time capsule. Like looking at these emails, it's like it said things like AMC and some other theater chain to enforce social distancing. So this is before... All the movie theaters in America shut down because of the pandemic. It had other things that, you know, I had a, I, I was supposed to go to New York. That trip got canceled. There was an email on that. It was like looking at, and it was, you know, Donald Trump says, uh, you know, the pandemic should end soon or something like that. It was just, wow, this is like what it's like when you're, you know, in high school and you put all these things in a time capsule and you bury it and you're going to look at it years later. It took me back to what life was like when we were just getting into the pandemic. It was just hitting. We were just starting to realize the magnitude of it. Now, I'm not going to restart the iPhone. It's, you know, probably destined for a museum. I mean, it's still, people still have them. A lot of companies get them because they like the security aspect of it. But that's my little iPhone story. Meanwhile, if you are dying to go to outer space, Jeff Bezos has a deal for you. His company, Blue Origin, uh, announcing yesterday, it will begin selling tickets soon for its space tourism rocket. Now, nothing about how much it's going to cost. That would kind of be a key factor. Guys, how exciting is this? Come on, Bezos says in a video promoting this. So this thing can uh, accommodate as many as six passengers at once. It goes to sort of the edge of space, 340 thousand feet in the air. You spend about 10 minutes in zero gravity. Uh, It's got all these windows so you can look all around. And then it comes back to Earth. Uh, Its uh, capsule comes down. Its parachutes uh, are set off and it lands in the desert. 
Now, I don't know, are there going to be a whole lot of people who are going to want to pay a whole lot of money to do this? I mean, it does sound exciting. It also sounds a little bit risky. I mean, you got to really, you got to be one of these people who likes jumping out of airplanes with a parachute to want to do this. And I have a feeling the price tag will be pretty hefty. We'll find out. You remember the uh, uh, unfortunate saga of the Lady Gaga dog napping episode? You know, there's a tendency to make light of it, but the guy who was walking the dogs was shot and uh, went to the hospital and was seriously injured. Well, according to TMZ, the LA district, uh, LA County District Attorney has now released the names of five suspects who have been charged in the shooting. Uh, three of them were charged with attempted murder, conspiracy to commit robbery, and second-degree robbery. Two others were uh, charged with um, accessory after the fact. Uh, maybe they helped with the getaway. Uh, this was a really awful case. I mean, this poor guy... He's got this job to walk the dogs, and the, the client happens to be famous. Now, obviously, there was some kind of scheme to hold those dogs for ransom. Lady Gaga got the dogs back, and I will be very happy if these people go to jail for a very long time. So this item is about Facebook, kind of copying the Substack trend, you know, where journalists get to start newsletters and people who really like them pay, you know, five bucks a month or whatever, and some of them making a lot of money on Substack. So Facebook is getting into the action here. It announced yesterday it's going to give five million bucks to local journalists to help them start newsletters and give them Facebook's reach and clout. Uh, that could be a very big deal. Uh, it will focus on reporters who are often the lone voice in covering a community, so communities that don't have newspapers, for example. Um, and it's a chance for journalists to make some money, uh, and I'm always in favor of that. The release says that priority will be given to reporters who plan to cover black, indigenous, Latinx, Asian, or other audiences of color in places that don't have an existing news source. It's very PC. It's very woke. Uh, but I'll keep an eye on it. And I guess more companies are going to try to sort of steal Substack's thunder on this. Okay, got a lot of stuff to cover, including some podcasting news involving Joe Rogan. But let's begin with number one. President of the United States was on the Today Show this morning, actually taped yesterday with Craig Melvin. Um, and I thought, well, you know, Craig Melvin probably likes Joe Biden. It's going to be an easy interview. It was a pretty good interview. Uh, Melvin asked uh, about the crisis at the border. Was it a crisis? Um, the thing that caught my eye, because I spent a lot of time talking about Tim Scott yesterday. Remember, Tim Scott, uh, the only black Republican in the Senate, uh, senator from South Carolina, uh, delivered the GOP rebuttal to Biden's non-State of the Union, State of the Union speech to Congress. And what got a lot of flack was that he said, Senator Scott said, America is not a racist country. And all of these progressives just piled on on Twitter and called him Uncle Tim. Get it? Uncle Tim. And all kinds of other racist stuff. And he, he's got his head up his, his butt and all kinds of things like that. It was really ugly. And Scott was out there defending himself. And I just thought, you know, these people who are supposed to be liberal and therefore tolerant of views proving to be not very tolerant uh, when it's an African-American conservative. Anyway, so Craig Melvin said, what about this? Did you hear about the Tim Scott speech? He said, America isn't racist, is it? And here's what President Joe Biden said. No, I don't think the American people are racist. But I think for, after 400 years, African-Americans have been left in a position where they're so far behind the eight ball in terms of education, health, in terms of opportunity. I don't think America is racist, but I think the overhang from all the Jim Crow and before that slavery have had a cost and we have to deal with it. 
So now, President Biden has said, I don't think the American people are racist. Kamala Harris, who has an extra bit of cred, I would say, on this subject, said a day earlier on ABC's Good Morning America, I don't think America's a racist country. So Tim Scott got beaten up. And remember, this was trending on Twitter, and it took Twitter 11 hours to knock down, meaning to remove the trending label, which reduces the visibility of the tweets. Um, these pathetic and horribly racist attacks from the left on the senator for saying essentially now what Biden and Harris have said. And I think that's really noteworthy. Um, elsewhere in that Today Show interview, um, Craig Melvin asked about you know the progress, the new CDC guidance on wearing masks, and said, as a result of this, are we no longer going to see the president of the United States outside with a mask on? And Biden said, well, look, when I'm outside, you know, people come up to me, and so I've got to be careful. And then he said this to his interviewer. Look, you and I took our masks off when I came in, because look at the distance we are. But if, in fact, we were sitting there talking to one another close, I'd have my mask on, and I bet you'd have a mask on, even though we've both been vaccinated. And so it's a small precaution to take that has a profound impact. But a lot of people, including doctors, including some on the left, are saying, and this was illustrated when, you know, the Hill... Uh, Congress only let 200 people in for the Biden speech, as opposed to the usual 1,600, and all the members of Congress have been vaccinated. You know, aren't you sending the wrong message by wearing masks all the time, therefore suggesting that there's really not any benefit to getting vaccinated if you're still supposed to go out and wear the mask all the time? But CDC says as long as you're not in a crowded place, you don't need a mask outside if you've been vaccinated. And I think the, the optics of what Biden is doing cut against it, and I think, you know, he... I think it's going against what he wants. He wants more of the country to get vaccinated. I think he's sending uh, the opposite message. Um, I want to turn now to a National Review's critique of the Biden speech. I mean, you've heard pro and con. Because I think some of it is shared by even some Democrats who wor worry that Biden is going too far left or as far as Joe Manchin will allow him. You know, the press is already ready to put Joe Biden on Mount Rushmore. It's been only 100 days. You know, he's FDR, he's LBJ. Um, and National News says uh, what, it's, what, what Biden did during the campaign was talk like a moderate, act like a radical. Talk about normality, act like a revolutionary. And at all stages, aggressively hide the ball. Progressive pundits, says the conservative magazine, have taken to saying that Biden poses a problem for conservatives because he's so boring. That's one way of looking at it. Well, another is that he's a fraud. Okay, that's a stronger language that I would use. The man who ran on a return to normalcy and whose party avoided unified Republican government by only 90,000 90, votes now says he wants to be FDR. Heaven help us all. Uh, if anyone thinks Biden is boring, it's because having been intoxicated by the Trump show, they're looking only at this president's style. 100 days into Biden's presidency, there is scarcely a single part of American life that the man isn't trying to change. He wants to spend $6 trillion new dollars, I talked about that yesterday, raise taxes to the highest level in three decades, well, only on certain groups, corporations and people making over $400,000, uh, raise them in wage to 15, uh, turn the Senate into the House, and turn the Supreme Court into the Senate, I'll leave that one for another day, oversee a federal takeover of elections and the police, force as many workers as possible into unions. Uh, he's not forcing anybody into unions, but he certainly is talking up unions. Uh, anyway, it goes on and on and on. So, uh, Democrats lost a bunch of seats in the House, made no progress whatever in the states. Who in their right mind believes the electorate was sending Washington a signal to tear up the political map? Um, 
I do think there's a case to be made, and if the mainstream media were a bit more adversarial toward the 46th president, would be making it. A few journalists have pointed this out. Um, that, that Biden is, you know, he's kind of governing like Bernie Sanders. Now, a lot of these things that National View objects to are things he did talk about during the campaign. Climate change and um, uh, strengthening Obamacare, for example. And, you know, he absolutely talked about um, wanting more money uh, for economic relief, for COVID relief. And, you know, he did pass that bill, of course, without any Republican votes. But there is an argument to be made that this is bait and switch. Now, Biden says, oh, he didn't plan it this way. He's responding to the moment. But look, $6 trillion in new spending on every liberal wish list under the sun, uh, free community college, free preschool, even for millionaires and billionaires and zillionaires. There's going to be a backlash here that could potentially hurt him in the, in the midterms. A lot of the stuff he's proposing is popular, but it's not, by and large, what he ran on. Ratings for the Biden speech, not great, between 22 and 26 million as compared to 40 million something for Trump's first speech. But look, Trump's a much better showman. Uh, Biden's been around forever. Um, it, it was a socially distanced thing with a small crowd. And so it didn't draw a big number. It still has an impact on the public discourse. But uh, somebody who was not being kind to the president said uh, this speech was the Oscars of State of the Union speeches, even though it's not technically a State of the Union speech. All right, number two, Rudy Giuliani on with Tucker Carlson last night responding to the um, U.S. Attorney's Office in Manhattan, which he once ran, searching his home and his business. And he had a lot to say. Giuliani said seven FBI agents came to his door at 6 a.m. with a big bang, bang, bang on the door, a search warrant for electronics, he said he offered to turn over this evidence to the government and discuss it with them, and he's been offering for two years. Um, I said, well, don't you want these? And they said, what are they? I said, those are Hunter Biden's hard drives. And they said, no, no, no. So he's turning the conversation to Hunter Biden. He said, look, they could have been Donald Trump's, they could have been Vladimir Putin's, they could have been anybody's, but they relied on me, the man who had to be raided, uh, because I'm going to destroy the evidence. I've known this for two years. I could have destroyed the evidence. The evidence is exculpatory, Giuliani says. It proves the president and I and all of us are innocent. They are the ones who are committing. It's like projection. They are committing the crimes. He went on about Hunter Biden for a while, and he said, I don't get, luckily, he said, I do not get frightened very easily. He said the warrant is completely illegal. The only way you can get a search warrant is if you show there is some evidence the person is going to destroy the evidence or is going to run away with the evidence. Well, I've had it for two years and I haven't destroyed it. And they got it from the iCloud. Anyway, he says, uh, this breaks my heart. It's tragic because I belonged to the Justice Department and I think I had a record that is a hell of a lot better than theirs. Well, obviously, Rudy, a federal judge disagreed in granting uh, these search warrants. And, you know, it's kind of typical for somebody who is caught up in a criminal investigation to say, I'm innocent, the evidence will um, vindicate me, and to argue about the legality of something like a search warrant. You know, look, this is a guy who, when I covered him as a federal prosecutor in New York, obviously greenlighted a lot of search warrants, did a lot of things. He was a crime fighter. He went after the mafia. He went after corrupt politicians in New York City. He went after um, allegedly corrupt people on Wall Street. It still is mind-blowing to me uh, that he is caught up in this investigation over Ukraine. I mean, having followed it during the first Trump impeachment, I'm not shocked that he's being investigated. But to have it get to the point where there was, a, you know, a search warrant executed on Rudy Giuliani, former mayor of New York City, 
um, this is going to play out. And I think I read somewhere that his own attorneys advised him to be quiet. And of course, he's, uh, his DNA is not to be quiet. So he goes on Fox News and says he is innocent. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. Speaking of people under investigation, number three, Matt Gates. He'd been sort of out of the news, the Republican congressman from Florida, who is the subject of an investigation into whether or not he engaged in illegal sex trafficking or had sex with women under 18. So the Daily Beast has a letter that is described as a confession letter written by a guy named Joel Greenberg. Now, you may remember Joel Greenberg has been charged with sex trafficking. He, he was a local official in Orlando. Um, he is a pal, or at least a political pal, of Matt Gaetz, and they did some things together. Now, in this letter, according to the Daily Beast, Joel Greenberg, in the final months of the Trump presidency, said, I mean, if this is true, it kind of completely changes the legal situation for Congressman Gates, then he and Matt Gates paid for sex with multiple women as well as a girl who was 17 at the time. That's precisely the allegation being investigated uh, by the Department of Justice. And, and by the way, the investigation began under the Trump Justice Department. Um, in the letter, according to the Daily Beast, on more than one occasion, this individual was involved in sexual activities with several of the other girls, the congressman from Florida's first congressional district, and myself. That's a reference to the seven-year-old. From time to time, gas money or gifts, rent, or partial tuition payments were made to several of these girls, including the individual who is not yet 18. I did see the acts occur firsthand, and Venmo transactions, cash app, or other payments were made to these girls on behalf of the congressman. And this was written after Greenberg, who, as I said, is under indictment, asked Roger Stone to help him secure a pardon from President Trump. Um, the Daily Beast also obtaining a number of text messages between Greenberg and Stone that were encrypted on Signal. Uh, if you get, if I get you $250,000 in Bitcoin, would that help, or is this not a financial matter? Greenberg wrote to Stone. Stone said, "I understand all of this, and I'm taking it into consideration." I cannot push too hard because of the nonsense surrounding pardons. Uh, then Stone wrote, I hope you're prepared to write to wire me 250K because I am feeling confident. Anyway, so this is whole Roger Stone subplot. Roger Stone, of course, was pardoned uh, by President Trump. Uh, we'll see what Matt Gates has to say about this, but um, this letter, if it's authentic, not exactly helpful to his case. Number four, the 100 days for Joe Biden also means 100 days for Kamala Harris. So a lot of news outlets are writing pieces about the vice president. Of course, the first black vice president, of course, the first vice president of Asian American descent. So the Washington Post says this, in the hundred days since Harris cemented, her, cemented herself in the history books just by taking office, she's demonstrated some of the characteristics that make her a singular figure on the national political stage. She's spoken out about racial injustice and gender inequity She's engaged with world leaders and at Biden's request waded into the thorny issue of immigration. Although her detractors would say she hasn't actually done much on immigration, hasn't gone to the border yet, um, but that remains to be seen. But, says the Post, as Harris has begun to settle into her new role, many who've interacted with her and some longtime supporters say the coming months will provide clarity on a question hovering over her tenure whether the nation's first non-white female vice president will emerge as the clear heir apparent 
to lead the Democratic Party in the post-Biden era? Because that has always been the question about Kamala Harris when you have a 78-year-old president. Will she run for and be the nominee in 2024? Or could she even conceivably and tragically have to take over sooner? Democrats worry that a woman of color may face a higher hurdle to becoming president if the formula for winning in key battlegrounds relies in part on white working class voters. So this is a story that reflects the concerns that some Democrats have that maybe we shouldn't just roll over uh, and say, well, Kamala is the heir, heir apparent just because she is the vice president, when, of course, Biden's whole appeal uh, was and always has been for Joe Biden to the white working class. She's been working hard to forge uh, ties with constituencies such as labor. Okay, this comes a day after Politico had a similar story with a different spin. Uh, Kamala Harris remains a largely misunderstood figure. Oh, really? Rather than the cautious and overly ambitious policies portrayed to be, interviews with more than a dozen current and former aides say she's a veep who remains intensely focused on earning the trust of Joe Biden. So much that outside allies believe she's partially motivated by a fear of losing it. Um, one Harris confidant telling Politico, what I know is, is in Kamala's mindset. It's not just cozying up to Biden for her own personal gain because she wants to be actively engaged in government. And that's determined by how much authority Biden gives her. To which my expert commentary is, duh. I mean, Biden more than as well as anybody understands that he was able to be an influential VP because Barack Obama gave him a lot of authority. That required Biden not to go, you know, outside the tent, openly running for president, which he wasn't. You know, he thought about it in 2016, but he decided not to do it. Um, so I don't think it's actually a lightning bolt to say, well, you know, Kamala Harris may seem to be keeping a relatively low profile. She's been a little more out there in recent days. As I mentioned, she was on Good Morning America uh, the other morning. Um, but because... Without Biden saying you're going to deal with the border, and he also gave her another uh, job in his speech to Congress, things, things that she's going to uh, focus on, you know, then she's just another voice at the table. Or she's not even a voice at the table. There have been vice presidents in history. Like Hubert Humphrey comes to mind under LBJ. who had no authority. The presidents didn't even like them. So, of course, she's trying to win Biden's trust. It would be irrational for her to do any, anything else. And then she say, uh, political says, largely misunderstood. I mean, what VP wouldn't do that? All right, a few more things here before we head into the weekend. Speaking of vice presidents, here's a political story today, number five, about Mike Pence. So Mike Pence uh, went out and gave a speech in Columbia, South Carolina last night. Uh, he mostly talked about all the great things that he and Donald Trump had accomplished. He made only one sort of indirect reference to January 6th, referring to a divisive election tragedy in our nation's capital. The lead of the political piece is the final weeks of the Trump-Pence partnership were an unmitigated disaster because Trump, uh, excuse me, because Pence had been so fiercely loyal and then he had to be ushered to safety in the halls of Congress after he refused Trump's demand that he not certify the election results. And, uh, you know, people, protesters were marching the Capitol chanting, hang Mike Pence. And Trump had tweeted that Pence lacked the courage to act. So interestingly, uh, in the interview he had with Fox's Maria Bartiromo, he was asked, well, what about Ron DeSantis if you do run again in 2024, which I'm not convinced he's going to do, but if he does, would, could you see the governor of Florida as your running mate? And Trump said, yeah. I mean, he didn't say yes, but he said, I have a very high opinion of Ron DeSantis. A lot of people have been asking me about that. 
I don't think if Donald Trump does run again, it's going to be with Mike Pence after what happened on January 6th. Um, if Pence is seeking solidarity, it has not been entirely reciprocated. While Trump and Pence have talked more than five times, according to a Pence aide, since the riot at the Capitol, uh, they've mostly gone their own separate and distinct ways. You know, Pence also had visions of running in 2024. Uh, oh, here's a quote from a former Trump senior administration official. Those people used to be quoted a lot more than they are these days. The vice president's foray into 2024 politics will be met with a more reserved golf clap. He describes their um, relationship, the two men, as cordial but not intimate. Um, another uh, person says, oh, this is a former campaign aide. I like Mike Pence. I think he was a great VP, great guy. But the reality is a large portion of the Trump base doesn't like him or care about him. He wasn't a liability in 2020, but was he an asset? Sure, he could give good interviews, but his ability to attract new voters wasn't really there. So, look, none of these people, Pence, Nikki Haley, none of them can do anything until they figure out what Trump's doing because they don't want to be in a position of running for the Republican nomination against the former president of the United States, who's still extremely influential in Republican politics. And as promised, number six, Joe Rogan. So Joe Rogan has a huge following. He is the number one podcaster on Spotify, and you have to belong to Spotify or have a subscription to Spotify in order to get the Joe Rogan experience. Well, Rogan attracted a lot of flack for saying on his show that young people shouldn't even go out and get vaccinated. And there was a bit of a storm over this. Uh, what he said was, uh, this whole thing, people being upset at me, I'm not an anti-vax person. Here's him walking it back. In fact, I said I believe they're safe and I encourage many people to take them. My parents were vaccinated. I just said, I don't think if you're a young, healthy person that you need it. And, uh, you know, other people asked about this. Anthony Fauci was asked about this and he took issue with it. Um, a whole bunch of people teed off on Rogan. So here's what Joe Rogan has to say for himself. And it says a lot about his appeal and why so many people like the guy. He said on this follow-up show on the podcast, that what he does is he speaks off the cuff. He says sometimes even he disagrees with things he says. And here are the quotes. Says Joe Rogan, these are not like planned statements. Let's be real clear. When I say something stupid, I'm not thinking about what I'm going to say before I say it. I'm just saying it. I don't have an off-air and on-air voice. I have me. That's it. If you say you disagree with me, I'd probably say I disagree with me too. I disagree with me all the time. If someone said, yeah, young, healthy, 20-year-old people who eat well and exercise are not high risk for coronavirus, but you should think about other people, I would say, that's a different argument. And yes, that makes sense. Um, so there was some talk that maybe Spotify kind of forced him to do this. There hasn't been any evidence of that. Uh, but he went on to say that he, Joe Rogan himself, plans to get the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Hasn't gotten it yet, plans to get it. Maybe doesn't want to do it twice. Although uh, he didn't get it so far because of timing issues. And then there was the pause uh, uh, requested by the FDA. And then here's the caveat. You ready for this? Because this is classic Joe Rogan. I'm not a doctor. I'm an effing moron. <laughs> well, you got to like a guy who says I'm a moron. And there are times when he kind of looks like a moron. And look, you know, you may disagree. Maybe you think young people don't need to get it. I would like young people to get it because, again, it's not about them. They're probably not going to get the virus. Depends on how young. I mean, there are certainly teenagers get it. Certainly young 20s people get it. But it is about other people. 
if even if they get it and the symptoms are mild, as often happens to be the case, they could help their country by helping not transmit it to other people who might get a more severe case, and it helps with the whole herd immunity thing. We got a little over half of the people in this country now who've had at least one dose, but we've got to get at least 70 percent if we're going to beat the virus. Look, everything's looking good right now. The number of cases is dropping dramatically, even in some of these hot spots like Michigan. We should feel good about this. A lot of people are feeling more confident because they have been vaccinated. Um, and eventually, I think kids 12 to 16 will be able to get it, and that will help in terms of returning to school. But there are variants and so forth. I just think it would be better. It's just not that big a deal. Go out, take some time, and get vaccinated. As for Joe Rogan, look, this is the appeal of podcasts. I mean, I feel some of this myself. When I talk to you on this podcast, it's not like when I write a column where I write and I rewrite and I go back and say, well, should I use this word? Or even when I'm on the air, I try to, try to choose my words carefully. You're on television. You have a limited amount of time. Sometimes, like everyone else, I say things that go a little further than I intended or don't go far enough. And afterwards, I say, you know, I should have said this and I should have said that and I should have said the other thing. But it's live TV and people get it. On the podcast, I'm talking to you every day for, you know, half an hour. Um, I was talking the other day about... Um, people who criticize other people for not being sufficiently outraged about the thing that they're outraged about on Twitter and, and taking too much time. And look, I said, we have lives. I have other jobs to do. I have family, I have kids to worry about, you know, all of that. Uh, but I think one of the reasons I like listening to podcasts, maybe you like listening to podcasts, they, they are raw. People can screw up. They say stuff that they wouldn't normally say. Maybe they let their guard down. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's an antidote to overly packaged, overly polished, overly cautious media people working for big corporate outlets. I don't know. The marketplace will decide. I do know that the podcast market seems to be on fire. Uh, I'm glad I got into doing this early. I think I'm in the process of figuring it out. Ultimately, you'll all be the judge. So I will say once again, have a great weekend. Hope you'll catch Media Buzz Sunday mornings, 11 Eastern. Hope you'll subscribe to our efforts here. Apple iTunes, you know the whole drill. We'll be back here Monday. We'll see you then with more Buzz Media. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.